This program is presented by Birch Gold Group, the precious metal IRA specialists. Good morning. In today's headlines, the Kansas City Chiefs win Super Bowl 57. Patrick Mahomes threw two touchdown passes in the fourth quarter and scrambled 26 yards on the go-ahead drive. But the game was still tied with eight seconds left. A fourth object shot down by the U.S. over the weekend. It's the third in three days. Meanwhile, six firms are sanctioned for their roles in the Chinese regime's surveillance programs. More rescue miracles in Turkey. Search teams find people alive after more than 150 hours. And a government investigation is launched into over 130 contractors of poor construction of buildings. If you have a child at home, have you ever wondered what they could be doing on their phones or when you lend them your iPad? We speak to an educator on how to keep kids safe online. And a photographer is making his dream of aerobatic flight come true, but to do it, he had to build his own aircraft from scratch. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. Good morning. I'm Evelyn Lee. Today's Monday, February 13th, and the U.S. military just shot down another unidentified object yesterday. The Pentagon says it was shaped like an octagon and flying over Lake Huron at around 20,000 feet. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg took a closer look at what U.S. officials say it's the fourth object shot down in eight days. Pentagon officials say the object was first tracked near Montana on Saturday. U.S. Air Force General Glenn Van Herc says two F-15 fighter jets were scrambled when it approached the U.S. border from Canada. Van Herc is head of North American Aerospace Defense Command, or NORAD. He says pilots lost track of the object when night fell. It was shot down Sunday over Lake Huron on the U.S.-Canada border by a U.S. F-16 fighter jet after being tracked across Wisconsin. Van Herc says it's likely to have fallen into Canadian waters and that recovery efforts are underway. He says the military has not been able to identify what the three most recent objects are, how they stay aloft, or where they are coming from, and that they are calling them objects, not balloons, for a reason. On Saturday, an American F-22 Raptor intercepted an unidentified object that Canada's defence minister described as cylindrical in nature. With further analysis, we will know more and be able to provide you with more details. It was shot down over Canada's central Yukon Territory at an altitude of around 40,000 feet. Both President Biden and Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau ordered the move. An unidentified object uh, entered unlawfully Canadian airspace. Uh, it represented a reasonable threat to civilian aircraft. Just one day earlier, an American F-22 took down an unidentified object near Dead Horse, Alaska. Some pilots reportedly said Friday's object interfered with their sensors. A defense official that spoke on the condition of anonymity said the military has not seen any evidence of the objects being extraterrestrial. Military officials say the mystery objects shot down Friday and Saturday were significantly smaller than the Chinese spy balloon recently brought down off the coast of South Carolina. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Now, U.S. officials are still trying to determine if China is responsible for the object. North American security forces are on high alert for airborne threats since the downing of the Chinese spy balloon. And officials say th the three most recent objects are not consistent with the fleet of Chinese surveillance balloons that have targeted more than 40 countries. 
And in response to China's spying efforts, the U.S. has blacklisted six Chinese firms. It found the entities to be aiding Beijing's surveillance balloon programs. Entities Jeremy Sandberg has more on the measure that will restrict the companies from getting U.S. technology. The Commerce Department has identified five companies and a research institute involved in supporting China's military aerospace programs. Aerospace programs that include airships, balloons, and related materials and components. U.S. companies will not be allowed to sell products and technologies to the firms without government permission. Deputy Secretary of Commerce Don Graves cited national security and says the Commerce Department will not hesitate to continue to use the entity list and other regulatory and enforcement tools to protect U.S. sovereignty. He described the entity list as a powerful tool for identifying and cutting off actors seeking to use their access to global markets to do harm. The Commerce Department's statement declares that inclusion on the export blacklist sends a clear message to companies, governments, and other global stakeholders that the entities on the list present a threat to national security. One of the firms signed a contract with state-owned Beihong University in 2015 and dedicated over $70 million to making near-space airships. It was praised as a classic example of deep civil-military fusion at the time. The partnership yielded the country's first military-civilian stratospheric airship that year. The high-altitude balloon intruding into U.S. airspace and traversing across the country for a week has ignited a renewed focus in Washington on the threat that the Chinese regime poses to the U.S. and its allies. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. The Philippine military is accusing China's Coast Guard of using a laser in an attempt to disrupt a resupply mission to troops in the South China Sea. It added China should restrain its forces and not commit any provocative act. According to the Philippine Coast Guard, its vessel was interrupted during a Navy mission last Monday. It was delivering food and supplies to troops in the disputed waterway. They say a Chinese Coast Guard ship directed a military-grade laser at the ship that temporarily blinded its crew at the bridge. The incident took place at the 2nd Thomas Shoal, located just over 100 nautical miles off the Philippine province of Palawan. China has previously been accused of using lasers in the region. India has outlined plans to more than triple its annual defense exports. Speaking at an Aero India Air Show, Prime Minister Narendra Modi set out to increase exports to $5 billion over the next two years. The country is looking to sign defense deals worth $9 billion at the biennial five-day event, its biggest ever. India has been one of the world's largest importers of defense equipment for decades, but it's fallen short in the global arms export market. It's been a week since the devastating earthquake in Turkey and Syria, and rescue teams are still finding survivors under the rubble. The death toll is now over 30,000. Turkey has launched an investigation into contractors believed to be responsible for the collapse of buildings in the country. So far, over 100 individuals have been identified, and Tidi's cost has the details. More people, many of them children, are still being pulled from the debris. The search for survivors is now in its seventh day. With the hope of finding more getting slimmer every day, the tragic earthquake has claimed over 30,000 lives. A little girl was saved in Hatay 150 hours after being buried. Also in Hatay, dramatic footage shows rescue workers pull out a 10-year-old girl and carry her away on a stretcher. A 44-year-old man in Karaman Maras was rescued after over 160 hours of being trapped. And firefighters rescued an 85-year-old from a collapsed building on Sunday. Entire towns and cities have been reduced to rubble. 
According to Turkish authorities, about 80,000 people have been hospitalized. More than one million are in temporary shelters. Turkey said on Sunday that a thorough investigation will be launched into anyone suspected of being responsible for the collapse of buildings. Turkey's construction codes, despite meeting current earthquake engineering standards on paper, are rarely enforced. Vice President Fuad Oktay said more than 130 suspects have so far been identified. The detention of over 100 suspects has been ordered. Arrests have already begun. Several contractors were arrested at Istanbul airport when trying to leave the country on Sunday. According to the Justice Ministry, seven others were detained. Another seven were barred from leaving Turkey. Kost MNS, NTD News. And over in Germany, a big change is happening in Berlin. For the first time in 22 years, the conservative CDU party is coming into power. Though it's a regional election, it's a big blow to Chancellor Olaf Scholz's Social Democrat Party. And today's Daniel Monaghan has more on the results. An exit poll showed the conservative Christian Democrats, or CDU, at about 28% of the vote. That's about 10 percentage points more than in the 2021 election. A court ruled that election invalid due to irregularities. CDU frontrunner Kai Wiegner had this to say about the victory. I'm a bit lost for words. It's phenomenal. And I can only say, Berlin chose change. Wiegner added there was a clear mandate for his party to form a state government. The Social Democrats had been ruling the German capital in a coalition with the environmentalist Greens and hard-left Die Linke. They scored 18%. The Greens were also at 18% and Die Linke came in at 13%. The vote could put left-wing mayor Franziska Giffey out of office well before the end of her term. We didn't come in first place and we don't know yet if it came in second. We must see very clearly that this result shows that Berliners are not satisfied with what's there now. Giffey says the CDU still needs a stable majority to govern the German capital. Meanwhile, the Green Party displayed satisfaction with the outcome. First of all, I'm totally relieved because we were able to at least maintain the very good result from last time, as it looks like. The September 2021 election was marred by irregularities and a repeat vote was ordered. Problems included long lines and voters receiving incorrect ballot cards. The CDU hopes the victory in Berlin will put some wind in their sails ahead of October's vote in Germany's financial capital, Frankfurt. A conservative premier risks losing office there to another Schultz ally. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Patrick Mahomes proved why he's the NFL's most valuable player. The star quarterback shrugged off an ankle injury to lead the Kansas City Chiefs to a dramatic 38-35 win over the Philadelphia Eagles on Sunday. The win marks their second Super Bowl in four years. Entity's Daniel Monahan brings us more. Chiefs, Red Kingdom, let's go! Kansas City's hopes of returning home with the Lombardi Trophy looked bleak late in the opening half. Mahomes appeared to re-injure the right ankle that had been a major worry coming into the game. It felt great until I, I, I kind of rolled it a little bit. I mean, it didn't feel good, but I was going to leave it all out there, and uh, I, I'm glad it was enough for the win. Grimacing in pain after a tackle, Mahomes hobbled off the field and slammed his helmet to the turf. The Chiefs headed into halftime trailing 24-14. 
Chiefs head coach Andy Reid was asked what he said to the team at halftime. It's just a matter of straightening out a couple things, and um, the guys always believe. They never don't believe. Um, they always think they're in the game. When the teams returned after the break, a resilient Mahomes produced a heroic effort. He tossed two fourth-quarter touchdowns and engineered a final drive to set up Harrison Butker's 27-yard game-winning field goal with eight seconds to play. Mahomes compared this Super Bowl win with his first victory in the big game. This one, you've dealt with failure. You understand how hard it is uh, to get back on this stage. Kansas City fans reacted to the victory. The people here, the fans here, the people in the Midwest of Kansas City, I mean, you can't beat it. It's, it's the greatest city in the world, it's the greatest team in the world. While this fan says Mahomes' one-legged performance has earned the quarterback a hallowed title. MVP, baby. MVP. MVP. That's all I got to say. If he's not the go right now, the debate is over. The, the debate is over. One leg. Come on. A controversial holding call in the final minutes with the game all tied deprived fans of a final Hail Mary drive by Philadelphia. The penalty gave the Chiefs a first down and allowed Kansas City to milk out the clock. The Chiefs won the game on a close-range field goal. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Coming up, if you have a child at home, have you ever wondered what they could be doing on their phones or when you lend them your iPad? We speak to an educator on how to keep kids safe online after the break. Welcome back. If you have a child at home, have you ever wondered what they could be doing on their phones or when you lend them your iPad? Kimberly King became a sexual abuse prevention educator after an incident with her son. And she says data from 2020 suggests there were 18 million explicit images shared between predators and over 70% of kids accidentally encounter explicit images online. She's now working with schools, parents and camps all around the country. And she told me how to keep kids safe online. Joining me now is Kimberly King. She works in sexual abuse prevention and is also a award-winning children's book author. Good morning, Kimberly. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to have you because nowadays we all know there is a lot of screen time with kids. So can you tell me a little bit more about on how technology could make children vulnerable to sexual predators? Sure, absolutely. It's a really critical time to talk about this because as we're coming out of the pandemic, kids have been just online all the time. So children are on iPads, even under the age of four. And then we have tweens who are on cell phones constantly. And predators know where kids are. They hang out in the spaces where our kids play online. And they start a process called online grooming. And this can happen right under your parents' right under parents' noses. When you're sitting on the couch, your child might actively be communicating with somebody that they think is a 13-year-old girl, but is actually a predator in disguise and is starting the slow grooming process. So it's very dangerous, and there are a lot of things that parents can do to protect their children. Right, and let's dive into that a little. How, you know, how do you protect them in case they do have an iPad or a smartphone? Sure. So, well, I recommend that parents don't let their children have smartphones until they're at least 13. And if you do let your children have a smartphone or an iPad when they're under 13, you need to be sitting with them, monitoring them, having monitoring apps. But more important than that, 
is teaching your kids about body safety. And you, you really have to have these tough conversations about the risks. So teaching your children that their body is private and that they should never talk to anybody about those types of topics online. They should never send pictures to anybody or receive pictures. And if there is even an inkling of inappropriate language coming back and forth between two people, they need to talk to their parents right away. And this you develop over time. When you start talking about the body, body safety, and other tough topics, and you communicate about your emotions, and you develop a sense of trust with your kids so that they know that if they make a mistake online, they will come to you. Let's talk about the parental control apps. Um, how do we best make use of those? And do you have any other tips on that? There are two ways to really reduce the risk using an app called Bark Technology. That app helps parents identify sexual predators, sexual language, inappropriate content, but also searches phones for keywords like about bullying and self-harm and things like that. And it sends the parents a text and alerts the parents that something is going on. There's all different levels of settings for different ages of kids. And I love that app because it's completely educational. It's, it won't catch everything, nothing is perfect, but it is a really good app to use. And then another thing I recommend for parents, if you really think you wanna have a cell phone involved with your under 16 or under 13 year old, use something called the Gab phone. So it's G-A-B-B, -B, Gab phone. This is a phone designed for this problem. It looks like a smartphone and no one can tell that it is not a smartphone, but all it does is text and call and you eliminate group chats, you eliminate apps, it just reduces the risk, but you can still know where your child is. It has GPS locating, and if you need to find out where your child is in an emergency, it's a great tool. And how can you actually sensitize your kids to help them detect those red flags early on? And of course, how do parents detect those red flags as well? So teaching our kids from the beginning that online, we do not wanna talk with anybody we do not know personally, that's really important. And then we also don't want to share personal information online, especially our location. There are some apps, some apps like Instagram and Snapchat that actually have location features and Snapchat, when you click it, you can see a map of like pretty much exactly where everyone is. So this is just inherently dangerous. So sharing your information online, you've got to work through that with your kids, what's okay, what's not okay, and focus on the people that you actually know in person, like your friends at school, you know, maybe your friends on your baseball team. Those are the real people that it's okay to interact with, with supervision. Um, parents, it's, it's extremely hard to keep track of this as a parent because there are new apps developing every day and predators online are very tricky. They're master manipulators and you just have to focus on prevention through talking about it, through educating your family by reducing the risks. Well, definitely a tough topic to talk about, but so, so important. So thank you so much, Kimberly King. I appreciate it. You're so welcome. Thank you for bringing this awareness to our parents. And next, a photographer built an airplane from scratch due to his love for flying aerobatics with no prior knowledge of aircraft construction. We took a look at the process and how his dedication made his dream come true.
And it's not too late to look for a Valentine's Day gift. The Island of Love is on sale, but it might cost you a fortune. Stay tuned to find out more. Welcome back. Many of us have dreams, but how hard do we try to make them come true? A photographer spent three and a half years building an airplane entirely from scratch to make his dream of flying aerobatics come true. But he had no prior knowledge of airplane building. How did he do it? Let's take a look. 34-year-old Roy Ben Anat from Israel has dreamed of aerobatics since he was a teenager. So he decided to make his dream come true in 2019. But Anat couldn't afford a half a million dollar airplane, so the only viable option was to build one from scratch. I'm not a mechanic or engineer, so there are a lot of challenges. Anat had to learn everything about building a plane. Luckily, he found a worldwide community of airplane enthusiasts on the internet. He learned from them about fabricating parts, assembling engine components, and calibrating instruments. If you don't have any knowledge, you can, you can learn everything if you really want it. And there are people everywhere that will be happy to help you and assist you. In addition to building the airplane, test flights are needed to ensure the airplane was built to specifications. The seven days of training uh, in England um, was mentally, physically very, very challenging to me, um, the preparation for the first flight. Additionally, the construction of the airplane requires more than one person, so he enlisted the help of his father, Aloof. Aloof is an amateur carpenter and a pilot who flies ultralight powered hang gliders. The pair collaborated on every task, except the build plan, overall strategy, and fitting of composite parts. He gave me uh, the credit to, to, to manage everything, to get the decision. He told me his opinion, but if I didn't took his opinion, um, we, we, we didn't fight about it, and uh, it, was, it, it was very fun. During the COVID pandemic, production was halted due to a lack of parts, supply, and funding. But he finally completed his first test flight on August 11, 2022. He spent about $112,000, saving a few hundred thousand dollars on the cost of a new plane. Anat says the project taught him a lot about himself. First, um, my capabilities of, of, you know, of learning something new and uh, managing project and um, handle with, uh, with this project um, while I'm working in my business. And uh, also, I need to combine it with my, my private life, family. And not shared his advice about making dreams into realities. Don't be afraid to start. And um, once you have momentum, don't lose the momentum. Just push, push harder when you have the momentum. Anat also credited his wife for managing their aerial photography business while he worked on the project. He says building a team with loved ones and a supportive community is also critical to his success. Reporting by Angela Moy, NTD News. Awesome, and what a skill he gained. Oh, I know, and you know, it really is about dedication as well, to start and finish what he dreamed of. Hats yeah. off to him. Yeah, I think so, and it's probably because of that dedication that, right, money really wasn't an issue in the end for him. Yeah. 
Yeah, and moving on, a quick reminder to everyone, thank me later, tomorrow is Valentine's Day, and if you don't have a plane to take your loved one for a spin, but maybe instead $14 million to spare, this is the gift for you. This beautiful heart-shaped island in the, in the Pasman Channel is one of the most recognizable islands in Croatia. There are no hotels, villas, or restaurants on the islet, but that doesn't stop a lot of top celebrities from coming every summer. Now, part of it is being offered to prospective buyers for development, and proceeds from the sale would be invested elsewhere in the local community. The island has an area of approximately one and a half million square feet. Just over 430,000 square feet are up for sale, though. And you know, the representative actually said that potential buyers are calling every day. Oh man, that's amazing. You know, it sounds like a good investment. I wonder if the island's actually habitable. Well, apparently the island is now uninhabited, but uh, in 2019, so not that long ago, scientists just then from, uh, from the Department of Archaeology of Croatia's University of Zadar discovered traces of human habitation on that island dating back to 7,000 years ago. Oh, that's really interesting. You know, well, if someone buys it, I wonder if, uh, you know, maybe a little archaeology could be a couple's activity for fun. Oh, yeah, great idea. <laughs> All right, that's it for today. Write us at goodmorning at ntd.com. Thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan.